So on this homecoming Sunday and in the midst of a month in which we're reflecting upon the tables at which we sit and to which we are invited along the way of our good journey, we come to this story so aptly retold in Luke chapter 24, beginning at the 13th verse. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know these things that have taken place there in these days? And he asked them, What things? And they replied, The, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded they were at the tomb early this morning and when they did not find his body there they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said but they did not see him and then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening. The day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took, blessed, and broke the bread and gave it to them. And then their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had made May known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. Amen. Robert Frost, in his great poem, The Death of the Hired Man, tells the story of a farm couple whose field hand has left them. It's not the first time he's left them. He's left them a bunch of times, and every time he leaves, he leaves them in a lurch. But this time, and he has come back, and he's asked to be taken in again. And this time, he's gone one too many times, and the farmer won't have him back. His wife begs his mercy, but the farmer is unmoved. 
And so finally she resorts to suggesting that maybe the old hand has come back, come home to die. Home, the farmer mocks. Home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Most of us have heard that line before, and we've heard it before because it ranks at the top of one of the more succinct definitions of home. Home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Everybody, I guess, wants a place like that in their life. Maya Angelou, the great poet, said, the ache for home lives in all of us. We're all, whether we know it or not, whether we accept it or not, or admit it or not, are on our way to trying to find our way home. Perhaps Jesus' greatest story is the story about the boy who leaves home and goes far enough away that he finally gets in touch with his ache for home and returns begging for a place at the table. And sure enough, home takes him in. Homer, in his epic poem, The Odyssey, has, the fel- has us follow the Greek soldier Ulysses as he stumbles his way home from the Trojan War to his wife, and home takes him in. Bob Seeger, the Motor City rocker and part-time theologian, tells a story about the Midwestern boy who goes out to the West to find himself, only to discover through heartbreak and disillusionment that he was, in Seeger's words, too far from home. And the boy wonders if he can ever get back. The ache for home lives in all of us. C.S. Lewis said, the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing the longing for home. It's true, isn't it, that there is something inside of us that longs for a place that will take us in. No questions asked. Ultimately, we dream of what Paul says is our commonwealth in heaven, that city of grace, that welcoming voice of our Savior. But the, but the journey to heaven is a long and winding road, and on this planet, we find life filled with all sorts of twists and turns, and inside us, there remains still this hunger for stops along the way, refuge from the storm, inns in which to be welcomed, homes away from home. Places that when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Hospitality, I suppose, is what we call it. A welcome along the way. When you're, when you're wandering, when you're lost, what a joy to find, if only for a moment, a home away from home. At every age, at every station of life, the ache for home lives in all of us. A college freshman not quite adjusted to the new and scary university, longs to come home for the weekend to the familiar smiles of mom and dad. A 30-year-old mom at her wit's end can't seem to stay out of the liquor cabinet and longed for a time when life wasn't so hard. A 15-year-old navigating the sharp and angry bends of his parents' divorce fantasizes over what a peaceful home might feel like. A business exec who's climbed the ladder of corporate success all the way to the top where there are no more rungs and still fills this empty spot. She's trying also to find her way home. Turn on the evening news and watch some caravan of refugees crossing over some border in some part of the world. And all politics aside, what you see in those desperate faces is a longing for home. It's what we will celebrate in a couple of weeks, of course, the pilgrims, refugees themselves, 
fleeing religious persecution and looking for a new home. The ache for home lives in all of us. In her great book, Hero of the Empire, Candace Millard tells the story of the young Winston Churchill who was working as a war correspondent in the thick of the Boer War in South Africa. Such in the thick of it he was, he was captured by the Boers and taken prisoner. And while in prison camp, he itched for freedom. So one night on his own, in the split second chance that fate provided him, he scaled the prison fence outside of the view of the guards and landed on the other side of the wall. And now he was free. But he wasn't home. He was a long way from home with little food, little guidance, no GPS, of course. He was left to wander through a foreign and distant land. And when rations grew thin and his body grew weary and he grew desperate for aid, out ahead he saw a home. And he wondered perhaps that was his chance. And so he took his chance and crept up to the door in the middle of the night, in the middle of this foreign land, that the chances of the owner being hospitable to a runaway prisoner of war were thin to none. But he knocked on the door anyway, and a man came to the door, and Churchill explained who he was, and the owner of the house invited him in and then said this, thank God you came to this house. It's the only house for 20 miles where you would not have been handed back. We are British here and we will see you through. Oh, how we long for a home away from home, a refuge in the storm, a table set for us. Which may explain one of the more mysterious and surprising stories of the Bible, this story of the two followers of Jesus walking the road to Emmaus, perplexed they, over, they are over the events of the last couple of days where they have seen from a distance their rabbi being arrested and tried and convicted, and then this gruesome death on a Roman cross, and then this crazy rumor that the, town had, the tomb had been found empty, and as they share their perplexity back and forth with each other, a stranger comes alongside of them, a stranger seemingly as perplexed as they and these two followers of Jesus invite the stranger into their conversation. They welcome the stranger to be a fellow pilgrim and as they walk and they talk and when it comes time for them, the, the three to part, the two Jesus followers invite the stranger to come spend the night, join them at table, make their home his home. And when the stranger accepts his place at table, and when the stranger takes, blesses, breaks, and hands to them the food, Scripture says that they recognized him. Scripture says that the stranger became for them Jesus. That they recognized in the stranger's presence the presence of Jesus. That in their welcome, in the place they made at their table for the stranger, they found themselves in the presence of Jesus. That surprisingly and mysteriously, even Jesus needed a home away from home. Is he not sacred, writes Homer in the Iliad? Is he not sacred even to the gods, that wandering man that comes in weariness? Did you happen to see the story this week of the reunion that took place in Jerusalem just last week? 
four days after the Church of the Palms pilgrims visited Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem. Last Sunday, a long-sought reunion took place between a Greek woman, Melpodina, who 75 years ago, along with her two sisters, had taken in a Jewish family being chased down by the Nazis. They hid them in the room in their house, and they shared with them their own rations. They took their own bread and broke it and blessed it and gave it to them as they sat at their table, these strangers at their table. They gave them a home away from home and by doing so saved their lives. So Sunday, two of the remaining surviving family, brother and sister, along with 40 of their descendants, came to Yad Vashem to see again for the first time the Greek teenager, now 92 years old, who at the age of 16 gave them a place at her table and as a result gave them life. Is he not sacred even to the gods, that wandering man who comes in weariness? Jamie Winship tells the story of his time as a missionary in Indonesia and having run afoul of the Muslim majority, he was brought up on charges of proselytizing and stood before a tribunal prepared to sentence him to 10 years imprisonment. When it appeared that such verdict was about to be handed down, a member of the tribunal spoke up and said this, as most of you know, I have just completed my PhD from a university in the United States and I'm now dean at our university here. When I arrived in the U.S., a new student, I was a accompanied by my wife and daughter and as you can guess I was terrified and my English was not very good and then one evening two young men knocked on my door neighbors and they told me that they imagined how difficult it was coming from another country and not understanding the culture and the language they said they would take me around the campus and show my wife where to shop and help me in any way they could and they did these two men saved my career and they didn't even know who I was later when I was invited to their table and learned about the one who had compelled them to knock on my door in the first place I was amazed and turning to his fellow judges the professor said how can we dare on behalf of our faith be any less hospitable we are looking all of us for a home away from home Peter Grieve in his compelling memoir tells the story of contracting Hansen's disease otherwise known as leprosy. He was in India and without sufficient treatment in India his body and life began to waste away. After seven years in reaching the end of his rope he was befriended by a fellow Englishman who gave him some money and a ticket to return to England to seek refuge at a leprosarium run by a community of Catholic nuns. Desperate for any amount of hope he could find he returned and collapsed on the doorstep of their monastery. It was there that he received care and treatment. It was there that he was cured and freed. And when thinking of this community of women and their ministry, Greaves said this, not only did they care for us without any thought for themselves, but what was more important is that they refused to admit that the disease was worth mentioning. They were so matter-of-fact about it that as a result, we soon forgot that we were different. Home, away from home. 
Back in the 90s, Joan Osborne released a song written by Eric Bazilian of the Hooters called, What If God Was One of Us? Quite a question, enough so that her song reached worldwide acclaim with a refrain that went like this, What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home? Our Emmaus friends would understand the question, as would our Catholic friends, our Jew harboring friends. What if God was one of us, a slob like one of us, a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home? What if God was on the street corner looking for a dollar for his next meal? What if God was a frightened El Salvadoran mother and her children trying to sneak across the border? What if God was a gang member in East Los Angeles? What if God was knocking on the door, looking for a home? Makes me think of the time when my parents went out one night for the evening. I was 15 or 16 and across the street from our house was the church my father was the pastor of. It was a cold and rainy night, and I got a call from our neighbor who said that there was a young man banging on the front door of the church. So I looked out the window, and sure enough, at the front door of the church, a young man, maybe 25, banging his fists on the door. The church was locked up for the night, so there was no getting in, but there he just stood banging on the door. And I called the neighbor back, and we made our way over, and by this time, we are, when we arrived, he was slumped in a pile in front of the door, sobbing. He was a little drunk, but more despondent. We walked him back to my house, wherein I called the associate pastor of our church and said, Help! <laughs> I didn't know what to do. What little sense I could make out of him, his heart had been broken. And he didn't know where to go, but the closest church. And that never left me, that young man banging on the door, looking for a home, a home away from home. Because home is the place where, when you have to go there, they have to take you in. Wouldn't it be something if they said that about our front door? about our table. Thank God you came to this house, for we're Christian, and we will see you through. Is he not sacred even to the gods, that wandering man who comes in weariness?